Welcome to another episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. I'm your host, Dustin Sutton, and today I'm very excited to have our guest, Mr. Trey Evans. He is a um, true renaissance man, I'll say that. He has accomplishments that span business, leadership, community service, and even literature, which we'll we'll talk about because he's the author of several best-selling books. And Dre's journey from Chicago to the military and to his work, and we're going to go over a lot of these things, but it's truly impressive. And there's a lot of tools, talents, and techniques that our (laughs) listeners can glean from these. So, uh, So I'm really excited to have Dre on the show. So without further ado, here he is. Mr. Dre Evans. Dre, welcome to the show. What's going on? Thank you for having me. So before we really dive deep into some of your experience, could you just introduce yourself and a little bit about what you do? Yeah, I'm a Wall Street Journal bestselling author. I'm a real estate investor with my niche in buying apartment buildings, particularly in the San Diego market. And I'm also a motivational speaker. Let's start back to the Dre Evans origin story, because I know, and I've read your books and it's really inspiring. So could you just talk about how you got your start, like where you started out? Yeah, um, from the south side of Chicago and my biological father wasn't in my life. He, he was a drug addict. And, you know, it, it comes to a point where every every young male is looking for a way to uh, coming of age and, and grow and evolve. And for me, I, I went off of what was around me. You cannot dream what you cannot see. And I eventually joined the gang at the age of 12. I had to, uh, do a lot of things such as I was beaten in, which means the guy surrounded me in a circle. It was almost like predator like, and imagine people hitting you and kicking you and beating you down. And they pretty much knocked me unconscious and I'm laying there on the ground and, Eventually, I wake up, and that was a part of my initiation. And the other part of that journey was a uh, uh, participation in some, let's just say, criminal activities, um, which I detail a little bit in the book. And that started my process. And from there, I was a gang member for a few years, went through a lot of different things. And there came to a point where there was a man who was my enemy at the time, actually. And he and this man that was my enemy told me about this school called West Point, which is in New York. And come to find out there's multiple service academies like the Naval Academy, Air Force Academy, and I'm a triplet. Me and my brothers eventually went to the Naval Academy. I had the opportunity of a lifetime. But before I even went down that road and became a naval officer, I was the first time out of Chicago, went to a information seminar in the suburbs of Chicago, and I met a African-American male who had a PhD and five master's degrees. And that was mind blowing for me because I had never met a male in my life at that time. You know what I mean? In high school that was that educated. And he really shocked me. He, he debunked a lot of the myths that I had about the service academies. My mom had it too. We thought we were going to go to the middle East and do a combat role. And he was like, no, it's not like that. Like the military has multiple jobs, just like the civilian sector. There's lawyers, there's doctors, there's engineers, there's two people that do supply logistics. And he really opened our eyes to that thing. And from there, he paid for me and my brothers to go to West Point, New York, uh, for the summer for about a week. That was my first time being out of Chicago, feeling safe. And I remember being in that environment. Everybody just, they wanted me to do well. It was, it was, it was truly a leadership laboratory. And so I came back and that's when that, life altering moment happened. I was on the block 
I saw the, the car drive by once and then drove by twice. And then that third time I saw it roll down and then the, the window rolled down, the black hooded figure came out and then it was like pop, 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 pop. Shots went out. Me and my buddy are ducking and weaving in between the cars. And I thought he was hit because I'm screaming his name, I'm screaming his name and no response. And then I'm looking under the cars and I'm looking for his feet. I don't see his feet. So eventually towards the back, I feel his feet and he's leaning against the car and then my heart sinks in. I'm like, oh my God, did he, did he get shot? And thankfully he was sitting there crying. He didn't get shot, but just the prior day, his mother had told him about getting out of that game environment. So that was my pivot point. I confronted the gang. It was a risk. Um, they could have killed me. They could have done other things to me, but I looked at it as just like anything in life. And I think that's why I'm aggressive in business. And we could touch on this later uh, if you want, but it's a risk not to take a risk. Yeah. And I knew that either I'll be in the same situation and be killed or uh, be in prison or take that risk and confront the gang and get out and have the opportunity of a lifetime. And so I seized it. I grabbed it by the horns, left. Obviously, I didn't go to West Point. I chose the Naval Academy instead. Did my time there. Did my commitment that brought me out to San Diego. And then I ran into a Naval Academy buddy that bought a three-unit apartment complex right down the street from the University of San Diego. And that's when my journey into real estate started. I want to go back to what you originally stated and like, like how you were making these decisions and these people that were coming into your life at a young age. Once you became exposed to life outside of Chicago, or at least the neighborhood that you were in Chicago, how did you process that information? Because like you said, it's a shock. It's, I can't believe, you know, like it's a new world for you. Can you remember, can you recall how you actually went about like making your decisions after that point? Was it a very intentional with the way you started making different decisions? I think for me, any it was just gratitude. I have always been living the moment type of person. People always ask me, and I've always been amazed at people that can say they have these goals three, five years, 10, ten years out. And I'm very ambitious, uh, just like you. I think that as we've gotten to know each other, you know that. But And I can have a laundry list of goals, but I would say probably about a year out is what I can really forecast. But I think that for me, I was grateful for coming from that environment. And that just put some a type of hustle and grind in me of appreciation. And that goes to the title of prove them wrong in the book, just wanting to prove everything wrong. My biological father wrong, my stepfather wrong, the city wrong, my circumstances wrong. Anyone that doubted me that thought I wouldn't make it at the Naval Caddy, my family who didn't think I would make it through, uh, the gang members wrong, everyone that my circumstances, uh, my chains, the chains, the poverty chains, the financial pains, like everything was about proving my circumstance and anything negative that was in my life wrong and trying to rise above that. I, I had to uh, latch onto something to be better and become better. And in, in a way, I, I reinvented myself. I, it's hard to pinpoint exactly where those intentional things come from, but everything for me stemmed from Chicago, that kid in Chicago mentality, that that coming from the gutter mentality. And once I latched onto that and used that as like the foundation for my motivation, 
I just put in the work uh, in terms of real estate, in terms of my finances, in terms of business. When you consider that identity and you're saying like, I want to prove them wrong, is there a way that you look at things and you embrace them and, but you're not bitter towards it? I'm actually, I'm not sure how you feel about this, but is there a, a balance that you have to face in your life of like, you're, you're grateful for these experiences, but damn, like <laughs> why do people have to go through? Like, how, how do you process that feeling? Yeah, it's, it's not a bitter though. That's mm-hmm. the thing. Cause I, I understand your question. It's, it's more of, I think you see that even with David Goggins, you see that with a lot of professional athletes. Uh, you, you see it with Deion Sanders a lot. He even talks about that in his interviews. He is another person that kind of lives to that creed of proving people wrong inside there. If you, if you tell, if you want some fire, like you could be naturally ambitious, but if you tell me I can't do something or if you challenge me, you, you going to learn. You know what I mean? And so I will, I will, it is, it's, it's a, it's a healthy fuel. Um, it's, it's a competitive, it's something that, you know, business is competitive. Life is competitive. Uh, sports are competitive. Anything on a professional elite level, level is competitive. And, and I think they all have that similar mindset. And I think I have it as well, just innate. And I like to use that as healthy motivation to, um, accomplish things. But I, at the center of it all, it's, it's my family. You know what I mean? At the center of everything, it's it's doing what I can for my immediate family, for my future family. And I think just for me, like I growing up in Chicago and you see life is short. I've always been a believer in that and you get that ingrained in your head at a young age. You you see people dying around you and being killed and you're always seeing it on the news. It does something to you psychologically. And and for me, I took that as a I always reflected on it. Um, and that's why it made me appreciate life or it made me appreciate the opportunities I was given. And so for me, my biggest fear is not death. It's not someone pointing a gun at me, gunpoint. It's laying on my deathbed and saying, man, I didn't try that. Like I didn't give everything my all. When I met Dustin, I didn't truly foster that relationship. When I went to university of San Diego, I didn't give it my all in my academics. I didn't, I just skated through it. Right. So that's my biggest fear, but that's just a because of not only my experience in Chicago, but even just the people in my life, like the men in my life who ne- who were all drug addicts and who regret, you know what I mean? Imagine growing up with that and you're seeing grown men who don't even have the money to attend their own mother's funeral, right? And, and so when you when you see that so much, it makes you just want to be better. For some people, it does. For some people, they get sucked. So that's what's so impressive, I think, about what you do and how you do it, because you use that as a fuel to do more, to do better, to further yourself. But you know, quite honestly, not not everybody does, and um, that's why I think it's so important to foster these relationships and show other people that there is a that there is a way. You know, that mm-hmm. you can use yeah. that. And so, you know, again, I just want to commend you on, on everything. That, that you're doing and how you're doing it. And we'll, we'll go more into that soon. Um, I want to talk about what you've learned when you went, uh, stepped out of your environment and you started working uh, specifically at the Naval Academy. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that jumped out to you that you, that really stuck with you from that experience that you're, that you found as foundational on how you see the rest of your life? Oh, yes. Uh, I would say the two 
the two oh man the the two biggest things that I learned from the Naval Academy is actually three speed and execution mm. the second thing would be which ties into business and life which we can touch on the second thing would be accountability responsibility um and no excuses so we always had like our models there was sir no excuse sir no excuse ma'am uh yes sir yes ma'am i'll find out sir i'll find out ma'am or or sir and no excuse you know your five basic responses and that five that that no excuse sir and ma'am was pivotal because if you do something wrong the first thing you want to do is try to explain yourself and it's ingrained from you from day one as in plebe summer that there's no excuse for anything like a set responsibility for your actions even if you fail if your team fails like it's all on you and it, it is a tough pill to swallow but i found that you don't realize it then because you when you do all these things at the naval academy that you would think are wasted like chopping around and carrying books in your hands and no book bag book pack and you can't walk on the sidewalk and you do all these extra things that you like uniform races memorizing things memorizing a menu and standing on a black deck plate in the middle of a hallway shouting at a clock every five minutes like you do all <laughs> these things that you think that like, what in the world am i doing but when you graduate and you look back on it and you see how it shapes you as a leader it makes sense so um i would say from the speed and execution point we always had to run everywhere we went i kid you not when i'm going to eat when I'm going to class, when I'm going through the hallway, we always had to run. And so I think about business where you have to execute. Speed is everything. Now, that doesn't mean you lose that punch. You still have the same vigor in your punch each time you execute. But speed is everything. If you don't execute a business, if you don't execute a connection, you look back and you lose a lot of momentum and wasted time in a foster relationship that you could have helped that that person could have needed you and because you delayed um even if it's a day or two or a week that could have delayed another person based on in my opinion where god was calling you to do that or it could be you lose a week of revenue in business and so i think that's where the speed comes into play as well so overall i would say those would be my my three when you decided to start writing books or or, or write these things down because you're journey is extraordinary. When did you start thinking like, I need to start writing this down or I'm going to share this later. Was that, was that, was that a conscious thought of yours throughout this process as you were, as you were learning? My mother was an author. She wrote a, a book, but she never really published it or did much with it. So I always had a knack for writing. You know, some people have a thing for math or science, but in school, when I was doing my thing in the gang and not applying myself, my grades are bad. I had D's and F's, but the one, the one subject I had an A in was English. And I think my English teachers saw that. And then it came to a point where when I was doing my motivational speaking around the country, everyone was like, you should write a book. You should write a book. And I'm and in my back of my mind, I'm okay. One day I'm going to do this. But then I had a, a almost fatal car crash here in San Diego. About the second year I moved out here, uh, my car was on fire. The door, I was trapped in the door. I couldn't get out. And that was a different type of fear where like kind of like life flashing before your eyes. I was just thinking about my family and what I had accomplished and someone pulled me out. And then the next day I started writing. 
how was the going through that process and writing down your journey and all those things that you learned? Can you talk about what that has meant to you and like how it really started to shape? I mean, yeah, I read your, I read your book. I do know, but I was here like, how did that help shape how you saw like the next chapters of your life? No pun intended. Um, I mean, writing is therapeutic, first of all, and I would say the the biggest motivation was just uh, an avenue to help people. Each one served a different purpose, right? So prove them wrong, I wrote in a year, but then I went through another another year of editing and then I took two years off. It just, in my gut, I'm like, the time isn't right yet to release this. And then in that period of time of that two years I delayed, I got into real estate. Mm-hmm. Started the podcast, started my meetup. I was going to all these networking events around the city of San Diego. And everyone's asking me these questions about buying real estate, especially in a, in a market like San Diego, buying an apartment building. Because I started with a four unit in PB. It was a $2 million property. And something in me one day was like, you should write a book about this and give it back, make it extremely detailed. I had read all the books on multifamily to learn when I got into real estate and I, I saw that no one really wrote something to me that was very easy to understand, that the average person, like high school, I would say, could grasp, uh, whether it be vocabulary, whether it be the mathematical concepts or just the big picture in the, the details, in the weed details. So then I, I wrote That's My Property, which is the name of my business as well. But I wrote That's My Property and, and, and broke it up in, in parts, the first part being a detailed account in the weeds of how I did my first deal. The second account being everything people need to know about investing in multifamily. And the third part being a a very detailed uh, summary of key terms from A to Z of all the terms that people would need to know for apartment multifamily investing in general. And so then obviously then Proved Them Wrong came out and that was just a different way to give back. It was more so here's my journey, similar to what you would get from reading the autobiography of Ed Milet or Eric Thomas or David Goggins, but obviously, or Michelle Obama and Becoming, but obviously in their story, there's a lot of nuggets that you can gain from that, whether it be overcoming adversity, whether it be uh, grit and hustle, whether it be things that they went through and how they overcame different challenges, traumas, stigmas, family issues, you know, domestic violence, abuse, whatever it is that your chains are whatever it is that haunts you at night. And I think that's the beauty of people, right? We learn from each other's stories. We, and we, and we aspire and we, and some people's stories we identify with more, of course, because maybe they came from a similar city. Maybe they came from similar backgrounds. Maybe there's a race component to it or, or, or a certain uh, topic. And, and so overall, to answer your question, Dustin, is that each, each book had a different a perspective in terms of what I can give back to the world in terms of knowledge. When you're, cause you're providing this knowledge and you're saying like, Oh, maybe I can provide this information in this way because I don't see anything out there. That's, that's quite like this, or mm-hmm. you haven't found that. How, where do you look for most of your information? Uh, like how do you get, do you, do you read, is it, is it books? Is it podcasts? Um, how do you prefer to learn? I prefer, I am a big reader. I love a, I love to read. I have a huge bookshelf in, in my place, but I also do like po- uh, podcasts as well. I listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks while I'm working out. 
every time I get in my car, I listen to podcasts and audiobooks. That's to me is about of the the continuous learning. Um, that was something that was ingrained to me too from a lot of my mentors at the Naval Academy is to always to be a steward of education, no matter what, whether you're in school or not. And I think when I listen to a lot and I read a lot and then I'm and I'm networking a lot, you hear a lot of the things that are missing and you hear a lot of the concerns that people have. They, they're giving you the concerns. You're not. That's the thing about it. You don't you're not actively seeking for it. it's it's being brought to your doorstep. People are literally telling you what they want to hear, what they want to learn. And then at some point you take a step back on it. And you're like, maybe I should do that. And, and it honestly comes out of nowhere, just like the comic book. I literally woke up one night, just similar to the, the story you told me about uh, the golf glasses. I literally woke up in the <laughs> middle of the night one day and something was like, you should write a comic book, Marvel and DC style on how to buy an apartment complex and like have all the characters look realistic so that if people looked at it, they really would think it came from DC or Marvel. And that'd be a way to reach people, to educate them another, another cool, different way about real estate. So I think it just it just happens. I don't. It's never a plan. Yeah, and you know that that is very similar to what you say. Like you can't be what you can't see, mm-hmm. and if people don't even know that that's a thing, or you know, real estate investment, multifamily investing, that's not they don't know it's a thing. Then how could they even create the map or the roadmap to get there? And you being able to do it and provide that in that way is it's it's, it's remarkable, and. uh yeah, it's going to be great to see how that turns out. But more than anything else, how therapeutic it can be to write and actually express yourself and find a medium for you to share that information that you've learned, which I, I think is it is, is. Key. it is. Yeah, uh, I want to, I want to talk also about how you blend all these different areas of your life together. Like, how do you balance? Maybe not balance is a good word, but how do you juggle? How do you? You, you you figure I want to spend this amount of time on on the on the comic, this amount of time on my multifamily business, this amount on the podcast. Like you you're a multi hyphenate person. Uh, how how do you balance all of these things? Mm, uh, I think that when you have a call, you just make it work. I feel like I get up every day and I'm just running around. I mean, back to my <laughs> neighbor county days, I'm just running. I just get up and run. That's pretty much what I do. Yeah, but uh. I think that you work on things in the moment of what you're supposed to do. So, for example, we released, it was a three books in a, in a span of year and a half, two years. And so this past year, I took I took a year off. I said, hey, I'm not going to do any writing whatsoever, and I'm going to focus solely on real estate. And, I, and it ebbs and flows that way. And you'll still have deals that come along. It just, your business growth in real estate just might not be as rampant. But then I find myself in 2024, I'm going to get back into writing. Now, am I going to release multiple books in one year like I did the previous year or so? No, probably not. Yeah. But <laughs> I think learn, that you got to learn from you, some of those things. You like, got to learn some of those things. Yeah, yeah. But because that can really drain you, uh, which is why I took the year off. But I, I, I see myself doing a lot more, still being more aggressive this year, especially with the markets uh, heading right now and with interest rates dropping back down. So I'll be very bullish on real estate. But at the same time, I'll just be working on one book or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, there are two that are already written that I didn't release yet. Mm. So it probably will be feel it probably will feel like I wrote multiple books in a year, but I'll just I'll just pump them out because they were already done. 
Um, but they were just on, on standby and, um, I'll just release those and just continue to do real estate. I think overall, you just, you, you block in the time. So it's, I get up at three, 4 AM. I, um, usually use that time to read or work on or do writing or, or go to the gym, depending on how my schedule is looking or what goals or motivations I have for that week or that month. And from there, you, if you time block and you give a little attention to the business and your books and everything every day, your connections, your network, you will find that in a month and then in two months and then in half the year, you've accomplished quite a bit. So I found that that that's really what works best for me is time blocking everything and, and putting a little bit, even if it's 10 minutes a day to what you're trying to accomplish. When you mentioned that doing so much and the lessons that you learned with those books, and now you go back and you're like, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do it like this. I'm going to focus my attention on you. You know, you learn lessons and then you implement them back. Mm -hmm. So my question is more of a high level question for somebody in the inner city. Let's say there's somebody out there who's 10, 11, 12 years old mm -hmm. and you get to talk to them about how to start their map or even like, like what advice would you give to your own self at that age, knowing what you know now? Are there any like big lessons that you would say do X, Y, or Z, or if you do this, 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 and that, and you'll, you'll make the biggest progress. Are there any like high level items like that? That's a big, if, that's a big question. That's a that big is question. A, that is a big question. If I was speaking to my 12 year old self, I would tell my 12 year old self to first get my finances in order. I would have learned how to budget then sooner. Mm. I think that would have been the foundation to everything too, because once you get that in order, whether you do business or not, financial literacy is key. Um, especially uh, in our community as a minority, which I think is just more, it's more rare. So I would say that I would have done that a whole lot sooner. I would have taken reading more serious. I think a lot of youth, you know, think books are dumb and they don't, they kind of don't really read like that. But had I known the power of reading, I would, I wish I would have, someone would have told me that. And I would have read, I would have started reading at 12 years old for sure. I would have, I definitely would have done that. Is there, is there a specific genre or type of author that you would suggest for their 12 year old self to, to just read? Non, just nonfiction. I don't read any fiction. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I love movies. So I feel like I get my fiction from that, but nonfiction is, is the stuff that's real. It's the stuff that's really going to make your mind grow and elevate and I don't know if it would, obviously, if it, I would prefer it be business and leadership, uh, self-help. Those are the type of, those are the only type of uh, biographies, autobiographies, those are the type of only books I read. So I would say anything really in nonfiction that I would just, I would have picked up and read. One of the things that I feel like I've realized actually in these past few years that you don't realize how far you've come until somebody asks you something that you that you know and you go oh yeah it's like this this and that and they go oh yeah i never thought of it that way so that's really why i asked that question because there's so many things that you don't even realize how you've learned over the years yeah. and sometimes when i share with uh, you know a mentee that's in in high school or something and they're like 
oh yeah, that makes sense. And I'm like, man, I learned that so long ago. I don't even know where I pulled that, pulled that out from, you know? So I feel like it's so important to reflect on the lessons that we've learned and provide those to other people because you never know what, what impact you can have on other people's lives just by sharing something small like that. That's right. Yeah. And I, and I love that about the financial literacy. I would say it's a regret of mine, but one of the things like if I could go back and in my high school and college, like I just was not, I was good at math, but I didn't like it, but it was like, I should have spent more time on that and um, just Excel and those things because I had to play catch up later on learning how to, how to create financial models and analysis using Excel and, and it's made yeah. such a difference in in everything in my life and budgeting my own finances and and for work all those things it's been it's been huge i want to ask a question of you about the real estate investing and why you think it's important or what drew you to real estate in the first place like why why is that something that you were like i'm going to focus on this I, I get that a lot, and I never thought that I would. I never thought I would buy apartment buildings. I never thought that I would buy anything beyond a single family home for like my family. But I was catching up with a Naval Academy friend over coffee at Starbucks, actually the same Starbucks that was right down the street from Linda Vista USD uh, campus. And I'm telling him I'm catching up with him. I'm venting about the stuff that's going on in Chicago with my family and with my mom, and just how tough it's been and I'm like, man, until I release this book and I was speaking to prove them wrong at the time I was in the editing phase that second year. And I'm like, until this comes out, like, I don't know how I'm going to make my family financially free or provide for my mom and get her out the rat race. And that's when he said those, that phrase, you should buy a multifamily. And that, that sentence that changed my life. I didn't know what a multifamily was. Obviously I eventually learned that it's another word for apartment building but he's he's describing it to me. He's describing it to me. I'm just not getting it. Like, I'm just, I don't get it. And so eventually he takes me to his three unit down the street. I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, I, I kind of understand more, but like, I still don't get how this is possible. And I'm like, I also don't have a million dollars. So we're in San Diego. I don't, this isn't, this is not for me. And so he, he eventually takes me to his like living room office and sits down with me for a good hour, pulls up LoopNet, pulls up the MLX, Crexy, and he's showing me a bunch of properties in San Diego. And he showed me some rough things on basically how do you underwrite or analyze these deals and how the numbers work. And I remember walking away just like mind blown. He, if you let him tell the story, he later recants that he thought he scared me away. But <laughs> I think I was just so like shocked. You know what I mean? That someone could do that and I just that kid from Chicago mentality I just couldn't believe I don't know maybe that I was worthy of being able to do that at the time because no one in my family had done something like that like even had the idea to think of that like I never thought that you know what I mean like it wasn't even a goal it wasn't even an option on the table but to have someone say that to you and then show you then you're like well what if and so that's when I that I I pondered that if and I and I I reflected on that if a lot. And so then that's when I went hunting. Started reading all the books I can on multifamily, listening to all the podcasts I could on multifamily, audiobooks, YouTube, you name it. 
I started signing up to all the network events in San Diego. I went to every single one. I had lunch with every single president. I, I put myself out there. And I remember shortly after that, I'm like, now it's go time. Time to go, time to eat. So pulled up the MLS, pulled up Craigsy, pulled up Lunette, and I started researching, looking at properties all around the city. I started noticing trends. And the first property that finally fit the the deal was a four unit in Mission Hills. It was $1.4 million. And I got the counter. I could have went under escrow. I had some foundation issues. I had a beautiful view, though. Overlooked the, the airport. It's an amazing view right on top of a hill. But something in my gut was like, don't accept that. Like, just wait. So I waited. I didn't respond back. And again, something in one day was like, just remove the cap. Remove the loan limit. So I did. And all these more properties came up, $2 million, $3 million, $4 million, and, and I underwrote that. Because I noticed that uh, there's a lot of multifamily in San Diego. That's the bread and butter. That's the backbone of real estate here. But a lot of the units were one-ones. And even in a market like San Diego, in a sub-market with like La Jolla or Pacific Beach or whatnot, even Del Mar, wherever you want to call it, even the high-end income areas, you can only get so much for a one-one. And the numbers just didn't work. I mean, I was just like a couple thousand negative when I was trying to run, even with the income with the units. I'm like, man, I can't. This is not working. And so when I removed the cap, I noticed that the more like 1.72 million-ish properties, you really started, the numbers really started making sense. And so that is how I fell, uh, fell into contract with the four unit in PB. They were all two bedroom, two bath. Uh, they were townhome style. They were individually parceled, so I could also sell the condos individually. I had two storage sets in the back, uh, two parking space for each one. I had a huge lot in the back. Uh, I had a huge patio. So in the front with the jacuzzi, hot tub, everything else, it was just, it was a gym. And so I eventually moved forward with that property. I a cash flow from day one, which I know it's insane. It was cash flowing a couple hundred bucks when I bought it. And now I've been able to grow it. So now I probably make about four grand a month. Um, and that was my first deal in San Diego. That's amazing. How how when you pulled the trigger on like your that first deal, and you when you said like, oh, it's go time, I'm doing it. Walk me through that decision. Did you like? Did you did you go for a walk? Did you like? Did you go to the gym? Did you? Did you I was like, actually, I was actually at the gym, and I remember I was at the gym and I was just I was bench pressing and I like finished a rep and I kind of like sat up and I and I'm just thinking about it. I'm thinking about how I've been learning and then I'm ramping up for this. And something that made me was like again. It was like okay, Dre, you're in the Navy. You're trying to be financially free. You got to do something different. The Navy is not going to get you there. Nobody in your family is going to give it to you. Nobody's going to just walk up to you at the gym and say, here's a couple hundred thousand dollars. Here's, here's your check to be financially free. It, it goes back to that same mindset I had when I was getting out the game. Like, okay, if I keep doing the same thing, I'm going to get the same result. I have to do something different. And I have to do something drastically different if I'm going to change my life for the better. And so the it was that same mindset, like, well, what if? I, it's a risk not to take a risk. So I took the risk. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do this. And I'm going to follow this through to the end. 
and it came to a point I was under that con- I was under contract with that property for four months. I was getting hit f- with fines and fees, ten thousand dollars in fees. We had extended escrow. My mortgage broker called me, and he was like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "It's not you. You got your EMD up, which is twenty grand. You already got ten grand in fees because you had to extend, and then a hundred hundred dollars every business day after that just to stay in escrow for the additional days." He was like, "What are you gonna?" You now your point you're losing money. He was like, if this deal doesn't go through, like you're you're gonna lose a lot of money. He's like, is it worth it? And then I remember thinking about it, uh, and I was like, it's worth it because if I do this deal, even those fines, they don't mean nothing. Someone's gonna pay that mortgage, and I'm gonna have a net worth of two million dollars. That that one deal, I don't have to work. I don't have to do anything. If I just hold that, that will forever change my life and my future family's life. And that will open the eyes of my family. That's the biggest thing. When they see it, that will forever change their mindset on what's possible on accomplishing their dreams and what they think is financially possible. And I'm so glad that I stuck to that because I had everyone. My mom told me not to do it. My stepdad told me not to do it. My brothers told me not to do it. They're like, this $2 million, that's too much. But same thing, I was like, I got to stick to it. Like, I've been through worse. I've been through this feeling before. I'm going to stick it through. And I'm so glad I did so that feeling, that feeling of being nervous, being excited, being whatever that is, is there, you compared that, like, you, you know what the feelings before of like, you know, the getting out of the gang and making that decision. Does it become easier for you to look at situation? Like, are you able to label those feelings in a different way? Like, how do you look at decision making after that experience? In a, in a way, it never becomes easier. That's the thing, because when you're when you're constantly elevating to the next part of your life, you're gonna always have that same feeling. So let's say you buy your first property, or you or you do another venture. No matter what, when you write a book, same feeling. When you buy another property, same feeling. What if I fail? When you do something else, if you start another business, same feeling, and that always creeps in. But again, you, you're at that same point, like, do I make a decision? Because that's the thing about life, right? Like, you could keep doing the same thing and have some success, but like, that goes back to the deadbed concept. That goes back to the regret. Uh, and that also, and again, it's ingrained from you from, from, from childhood. So I just don't want to look back and be like, well, I did well, but did I really pursue that dream that I wanted? Did I really pursue what I knew I wanted to do? Did, did I really go after what did I give him my all? And I and I and when I every time I think about that, that's what checks me. That mm. that is what centers me and like, well, you know the answer. You know that everyone knows the answer. Like that's the thing. Like you know what you're supposed to do. You know if you're not giving it up. And, and I think that it gets harder because everyone, like you have all these gurus who's got social media and everyone is so quick to be like, oh, you need this amount of sleep or all like they make excuses for so much stuff like why you have to do this and why you have to do that they try to normalize and i'm like no like end of the day is discipline like if i told everybody just like getting up everyone's like, oh i can never like i can never get up at 3 4 a.m if i told y'all to meet me at mcdonald's on the corner and said i'll give everybody that meet me on the corner a hundred thousand dollars all of y'all will be there at 3 a.m but it, it so that's it, it, it's a it goes to show that like people don't have anything they don't have a fire they don't have a motivation 
They don't have a why. They don't have anything that gets them out of bed to make them want to do it. It could be a person. It could be your mom. It could be your kids. It could be your wife or a significant other, something, or just wanting to be better. Like whatever it is, like you have to find something. I don't care if you want to develop coloring books. Like, I don't care what the goal is. You know what I mean? Or if you want to be the best janitor in the world, whatever it is, like you got to figure out what it is that you want to do and and let that drive you every single day. You know what I mean? And it reminds me of what you said when we were getting uh, coffee. You said you couldn't sleep. You woke up in the middle of the night and you're like, you know what? I got to do this golf thing. I got to develop these glasses. You know what I mean? And, and it's just something in you that you can't explain, but there. But there's probably something deeper there that drives it beyond that. It might be your wife. You know what I mean? So whatever it is, it's 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 being able to identify that and let that fuel you um, and not making an excuse for it. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm always looking for reasons for like like why do I do this? And it comes down to accountability too. Like I don't, I don't want to look back and be like make any excuses or anything. Like I like to try things and try to to push things further and and make things better. Like that's I just really enjoy doing it, and I know I like to do it. But one of the things that you just said is like giving it your all. And what does that look like? I I feel like in my experience. I, I'm, I think we all work through some of these things in our lives, but like, what does it look like to go all the way with something? And do you have to go all the way with that one thing? Cause do you tie your identity to that thing? Or like, is, are you sure that's what you want? Right. But I think what you're saying is so key is that there's at some point and who knows what it is, is that it tips over into, Yeah. I don't know what it is, why I wake up in, in the morning and like, yeah, yeah I got to yeah. do this. I got to do this. Um, but finding that thing that, that what that tipping point is to, to push you forward is something that I find so fascinating and, uh, and, and, and looking at why people do certain things. It's remarkable. I, I, it's something I think you don't, you can, sometimes you do know the destination, but sometimes you don't. You might think that you might find that you're you're going this one direction, but then that opens another door somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So it's not about having it all figured out. It it really isn't. I would say most of the time I don't have it figured out, but some at some point in that process, because you're giving it all and you're taking advantage of every connection you have, you're taking advantage of every opportunity you have. You're giving up. You're getting up with discipline and a sense of purpose. That ultimately will lead you where you need to be through whatever avenue and whatever path that is. And I think it comes down to like, it's just pain. Like there's two types of pain, the pain of discipline or pain of regret. Which will you choose? Two types of pain. So pick pick the one you want. At the end of the day, everyone has to face it. I'm writing that down. Pick your pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah there, 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 are two, there are two types of pain. The pain of discipline or the pain of regret, which will you choose? I also also like what you said before about like everyone knows like you know for even you know what to eat and not to eat for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know that you shouldn't be eating those extra slices of cake. <laughs> you know that you should be doing it, but it comes down to that discipline and how to do that. And I and I feel like um, that accountability 
that discipline is something that it's, it's hard. It's painful, but that leads to what you just said, the picking your pain. Like, yeah, it's, it's hard to be disciplined, but you know what else is hard? Diabetes, uh, heart disease, mm-hmm. like, you know, all those things are hard too. So pick your pain. I, I love that. I think that's important. Uh, I want to be mindful of your time. We have a few minutes left. So I want to like give you the opportunity right now. Is there anything that you feel like, you know what, if, if there was something that encapsulates Dre Evans, where you are, where you want to go, is there anything that you want to share with the audience that, uh, that is important to, to get across that we haven't explored yet today? Yeah, I would, I'll sum it up in one sentence at the end. But I think at the end of the day, the message that I was just trying to drive people is whether it be real estate, whether it be business, having a podcast, whatever else you want to do, just enjoy life. And when I say that, I think that I don't want this to sound like it's a everything is serious and everything's like hustle, hustle, work, work, work. No, absolutely not. You're going to have fun. You're going to have a lot of great memories and stories and journeys along the way. But all of, of, of a part of life is just is living it to the fullest. And that includes your calling and the things that you're called to do, whatever that is. And so I think at the end of the point, at the end of the day, I summarize that I have the tattoo on my, on my left forearm. At some point there is no excuse. Either you do everything it takes to make it happen or you don't. Well, Dre, it has been an absolute honor to have you on the show. Um, uh, an honor to call you a friend and a colleague. And uh, I just appreciate everything you're doing. And I'm, I'm so uh, grateful for your, our relationship, but also proud of your success, man. I'm, I'm so proud of everything you're doing. Thank you, Dustin. I appreciate that. All right. Dre Evans, all of your contact information, your books, I'll put everything in the show notes, but thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation. And if you did find value in the episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast on your favorite platform, leaving a review, and sharing with your network. We have an amazing lineup in the coming weeks and months with some very impressive leaders and some of the heaviest hitters in business who are making a positive impact in the world. So stay tuned for more exciting episodes and special features coming up. We appreciate your ongoing support and look forward to welcoming you back next time on Tools, Talents, and Techniques.